We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 112 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, July 30th, 2021, the day after an unforgettable night in Washington, D.C. sports history. Thursday night, July 29th, 2021, will forever be remembered if you're a true DC sports fan. And of course you are a true DC sports fan because you're listening to this podcast, a true DC sports podcast, the only pod that goes in depth on all four of the big four, the Washington football team, the Nationals, the Capitals, and the Wizards, in addition to other teams. But it's still hard to believe all that went down on Thursday. The Nationals launching their fire sale by trading, or reportedly trading, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Brad Hand, and Daniel Hudson. The biggest trade by far, the Nats reportedly agreeing on a trade of Max and Trey to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This was breaking on Thursday night as the Wizards reportedly agreed on a trade of Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, as the Nats and Dodgers were making a trade, the Wizards and Lakers were making a trade. And in the midst of all of this was the NBA draft, in which the Wizards made, I think, a terrific selection with the number 15 overall pick. There is so much to get into on this show. And I haven't even mentioned yet the Washington football team. Oh yeah, a lot to unpack from a busy Thursday at Washington football team training camp in Richmond. Ron Rivera, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Chase Young, and Jamin Davis all spoke via post-practice press conference on Thursday. Ron talked a lot about the quarterback competition, to whatever extent the competition exists. That's my official qualifier now, by the way, for whenever I bring up the quarterback competition, because there are some people who refuse to believe that there's any validity to the competition at all. So I will say, to whatever extent the competition exists. But yeah, uh, a lot to do with that. Also, Ron finally addressed the Kyle Allen situation. Uh, Fitzpatrick had a lot of good stuff to say. Chase Young addressed the COVID-19 player vaccination rate issue. A ton to get into. You and me, we are overloaded with content on this Friday installment 
of the Al Galdi podcast. You can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the pod, especially as we approach football season, all kinds of attractive packages are available to you. Just send us an email if you want to grow your practice or business. Again, the email address, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. You can always tweet me at Al Galdi. Got this tweet from Brent Bosworth on Thursday night. Friday's episode of the Al Galdi show should be a good one. Can't wait to listen. P.S. Keep the intro music. Uh, Thank you, Brett. Uh, You know what? I continue to get feedback on the intro music. I haven't brought it up in a while, but the feedback continues to be positive. This thing, the momentum of the intro music really has been incredible over the life of this podcast. It's become almost like Stockholm Syndrome. It's like you're just forced to accept it and like it as time goes on. A tweet from Drew. I'm sorry to ask this, Galdi, but I'm going to need a minimum two and a half hour episode tomorrow morning, i.e. Friday morning. Uh, Well, I don't know if this will be two and a half hours, but it'll be two and a half hours worth of stuff. It may not last for two and a half hours. We'll cram two and a half hours worth of goodness uh, into however long this thing ends up being. But what a night Thursday night was. Uh, It's one of those deals, like, it just, sometimes in sports you have that, right? You have this, like, confluence of events. We had that on Thursday night in D.C. sports. I mean, as I'm taping this right now, here, let me uh, get my cell phone. It is, it is 2.19 on Friday morning. It has been some night. You know what's also interesting is that on Thursday, the Capitals conducted a virtual press event in honor of the re-signing of Alex Ovechkin. And, you know, it was this very happy, festive event. You had Ovechkin there. You had the Caps owner, Ted Leonsis, there. You had the Caps president, Dick Patrick, there. You had the Caps senior vice president and general manager, Brian McClellan, there. And it's just kind of funny, the juxtaposition, like, as Ovechkin was being honored because he's being resigned and he's you know going to be here for another five years, right? $47.5 million contract extension. As that's going on, you have the Nationals saying bye-bye to maybe the closest thing that they've had to Ovechkin and Max Scherzer. Now, it's different, right? I mean, Max wasn't drafted by the Nats the way Ovechkin was drafted by the Caps. But like if I say to you, who is the best capital ever? Clearly, the answer is Alex Ovechkin. If I say to you, who is the best Washington National ever. So since the franchise came to DC, who's been the number one player? The answer to me is Max Scherzer. And he's now gone. This is a big deal that Max Scherzer is being traded away to the Dodgers. It's the right call. Much more on that coming up next segment. Uh, But that is a very big deal to say nothing of the other trades, to say nothing of Russell Westbrook being traded. And you know what else is going on with the Wizards too? We appear to have a better understanding now of what's going on with Bradley Beal. He wants to stay. So just a ton to sort through. Well, when it comes to all these guys leaving, whether it is Scherzer or Turner or Schwarber or Hand or Hudson or now Westbrook, if these guys need to sell their homes, you know who these guys should be calling. My guy, John Grandlin of Real Broker, John G, the OG of Commission Flex, which is a lot like Ron Rivera's favorite thing, Position Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, position flex. Commission flex is a beautiful thing, and it basically has to do with this. Not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, you shouldn't have to pay 6%. 
Let John Granlin put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. John has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from, including selling your home for free. Yes, you heard that right. For free, some conditions apply. But interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. Do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. Call John G. now. The phone number is 703-537-6747. If you need to sell your home, want to sell your home, even are just thinking about selling your home, give John Granlin a call. Tell him Al Galdi sent you. Ask him about Commission Flex and just see what he can do for you. You have nothing to lose. The phone number again, 703-537-6747. John's a great guy, huge sports fan. He was texting me on Thursday night. Big Nationals fan, big Washington football team fan. You can also check out John online at johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. In fact, if you see Max Scherzer or Trey Turner or Russell Westbrook over the next few days, tell them about John Granlund, although it's quite possible all three are listening to this podcast right now. But whatever the case may be, John Granlund, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, John G is the OG of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron, just like Position Flex. And we'll be hearing from Ron Rivera coming up in just a bit. But yes, right now we get into the colossal night that was Thursday night for the Nationals. So years ago, I came up with a nickname for Mike Rizzo. That nickname is the Ninja because Mike Rizzo's track record on trades is outstanding. His recent draft track record, not so good, but his track record on trades as Nationals general manager is tremendous. He, over the years, has been ninja-like in outmaneuvering other general managers, in winning trade after trade. Yes, that right there is the sound of the ninja striking, the sound of the ninja strike. Even Mike Rizzo's supposedly bad trades aren't bad. Like, people bring up the Adam Eaton trade. December 2016, Nats dealt Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunning, three young pitchers, to the Chicago White Sox for Adam Eaton. Now, would the Nats love to have Giolito right now? Absolutely. Uh, But Eaton helped the Nats win the 2019 World Series. So if that's a bad trade, if that is one of Rizzo's worst trades as Nats GM, you can live with that. Is what happened on Thursday night another ninja strike. Hard to say that. Uh, I would not say that. We can't say that. The Los Angeles Dodgers are one of the smartest teams in Major League Baseball. The Dodgers baseball operations department has become a gold standard baseball ops department in MLB. As some of you know, my brother, Andy Galdi, runs the analytics department for the Philadelphia Phillies. We have spoken many times about the best baseball ops departments in MLB. The Dodgers are easily one of the best. So did Rizzo outsmart the Dodgers? No, I would not say that. But did Rizzo strike a deal that I believe is good for the Nats? Yes, he did. Does the trade hurt because of who the Nats are trading away? Yes. But is the trade necessary? Absolutely. And is the trade bringing back an appropriate haul given the current marketplace? Yes, the trade is doing that. 
The Nats on Thursday night made a painful but bold and forward-thinking trade, a blockbuster with the MLB trade deadline approaching on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. With reports having swirled for days that the Nats would be selling and selling hard, the Nats late on Thursday night reportedly agreed on a mega trade with the Dodgers. Starter Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner to the Dodgers for four prospects, including the Dodgers' top two prospects per MLB pipeline. Trading Max was a no-brainer. Again, it hurts. He is the best player for the franchise since it came to D.C., but he's set to be a free agent after this season. He could have left the Nats for nothing this offseason. Unless the Nats were going to re-sign him before the start of free agency, trading him given the state of the Nats this season makes sense. Total sense. The whopper is Turner. What bothers a lot of you, I know, is Turner. And I hear you. I get where you're coming from. But I would say two things. Number one, if the Nats weren't going to re-sign Turner, then trading him now is perfectly acceptable. We all have complained many times about Washington, i.e. the football team, not getting enough back for the departures of guys like Kirk Cousins and Trent Williams and maybe eventually Brandon Sheriff, you know, about Washington not properly maximizing its assets. Well, here you have the Nats maximizing an asset. Trey Turner is set to be a free agent after next season. Trey Turner right now is in his age 28 season. So next season, his contract year is his age 29 season. The first season of his new contract will be his age 30 season. He's going into his 30s. Now, does that mean he's going to fall off a cliff? No, but guys in their 30s decline. Trey Turner is someone who likely has peaked already physically. Okay, and that doesn't mean, again, he's going to become just, you know, uh, totally incapable of playing the game of baseball. But the way this works is your athletic prime, and this has been looked at many times, it's more like 24 to 28, somewhere in there, than it is 28 to 32, which is what people used to think. And the reason so many of these mega money contracts in baseball don't work out is that guys get paid in their 30s for what they did in their 20s. So as Trey Turner is about to go into his 30s, and as Trey Turner is now in the midst of a second consecutive highly productive season. And as the Mets shortstop, Francisco Lindor got a 10-year $341 million extension from New York this past April, and Trey likely is asking for money in that neighborhood. You tell me, do you feel comfortable if you're the Nats paying him that kind of money as he's going into his 30s? I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that deal. And I believe it's very possible the Nats have said, look, we like Trey Turner but we don't want to pay him 300 plus million dollars or even like 250 plus million dollars. And so if you're not going to pay him what it takes to keep him, then you need to trade him. And the Nats didn't necessarily have to trade Turner by the trade deadline, could have waited till the offseason. But if you get a deal that you like, you pounce on it. And the Nats clearly like this deal. And the Nats obviously pounced on this deal. So I think you have to consider the perspective on all of this. You know, I know people are saying, well, cheap learners, they won't re-sign Trey Turner. And I'd slow down on that. Slow your roll on that. You could say many things about the learners. They're not cheap when it comes to payroll. The Nationals for years have been a top 10 payroll team in Major League Baseball. There are baseball reasons, legitimate baseball reasons, not to sign Trey Turner to the mega money contract he's almost certainly seeking. You know, it's different with someone like Juan Soto. Juan Soto is younger than Trey Turner. Juan Soto was in his age 22 season. This is Trey Turner's age 28 season. That's a big difference. You know, people lump the two together. They're like, well, those are your two cornerstones. No, Juan Soto is a cornerstone. Trey Turner is a different conversation. So as good as he is, I understand the reluctance 
to pay him the big money. And if you're not going to pay him the big money, then flipping him is the way to go. And the Nats clearly have flipped him. And that leads me to a second major point, which is the Nationals farm system is barren. The Nationals farm system needs all of the help that it can get. As things stood prior to this trade, you had one top 100 prospect in the sport of baseball, and that's the pitcher Cade Cavalli. And he is an exciting prospect. He is a promising prospect, but that's really your lone shining light in that minor league system. The Nationals farm system used to be robust, used to be healthy. Things have changed. Uh, The Nationals have not been very good at drafting in recent years. The Nationals have not been very good at developing players in recent years. Nats have been kind of in a rut in uh, those regards. Got to change that. Got to be better along those lines. And that starts with Mike Rizzo, okay? So like I said, Rizzo's been very good on trades, but you got to be honest about things. His recent drafts don't look so good. So the Nats have got to fix that. Got to be better at the draft and at player development. But whatever the reason, the Nats farm system is not in good shape. The Nats need to get that farm system to a better place. How do you do that? You make trades to replenish the farm system. I mean, for those of you who follow the Nationals, okay, you think about the mechanics of this season. When the Nationals have needed players, who are the guys who the Nats have summoned from the minors, right? A bunch of guys in their 30s. People like Paolo Espino and Gerardo Parra and Yadiel Hernandez, you know, a journeyman like Jeffrey Rodriguez. He's not in his 30s, but he's not some promising pitcher, okay? The Nationals have had to get these types of guys up to the major league level. You know, your prototypical 4A players, guys maybe too good for AAA, but not good enough for the majors. Those are the types of guys who the Nationals have summoned this season. It's not been these young rising phenoms or anything close to people like that. You know, you think about like when the Nats have needed bodies, what else have they done? They've done something like trade for Alcides Escobar, who's done a nice job, but who hadn't played in the majors since 2018. The Nats have done something like sign Rene Rivera, the catcher. He's in his age 37 season, okay? The Nats are his 10th major league team. Like, this is what the Nats have to do. Why? Because the farm system doesn't have viable options. The Nats needed to replenish the farm system. And so that's another major reason to have pulled the trigger on a Trey Turner trade now. So I know some of you are upset about Trey Turner being included in this. I'm not. I applaud the Nationals for what they have done here. And I applaud the aggressive nature of the sell. I wondered about this. Would the Nats go all in on this necessary fire sale? It became very clear over these last few weeks that the Nats needed to sell and sell hard. I said it after that sweep at the Orioles. The Nats were done when it came to this season in terms of trying to contend. Now, if the Nats happen to win, you know, it is a lowly National League East, make things interesting, more power to them. But in terms of devoting assets to this season, no, you can't do that. And when it came to especially the free agents-to-be, guys like Max Scherzer uh, and Kyle Schwarber and Daniel Hudson and Jan Gomes and Brad Hand and Josh Harrison, all those guys need to go, and all those guys are in the process of going right now. But to see the Nats include Trey Turner, what that says to me is the Nats are even more in on the sell than I could have ever imagined. You know, It was just three years ago, 2018, that Mark Lerner put the kibosh on a trade that Mike Rizzo had ready to go involving Bryce Harper to the Houston Astros. Here we are three years later, and the Nationals are aggressively selling in a manner in which we have not seen before, okay? And aggressively selling to the guy, again, like Trey Turner, who's not a free agent to be. You could have waited till the offseason with Turner. Nats did not do that. I applaud that. That is bold, aggressive thinking. I like that. That's how you win in sports. I think that's how you win in life. But that's a great job by not just Mike Rizzo, but by the learners who have to green light these things. Rizzo may have wanted to trade Scherzer and Turner, 
But he doesn't do that without ownership approval. He clearly got that approval. That says some things. That says some things that are very key here. So no question, it hurts to trade away Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, but take a bigger picture approach to this, all right? Don't get like uh, emotional about this, all right? And I know it's hard not to get emotional, but try to avoid the emotion, all right? Try to be cold-blooded on this. If you're cold-blooded, if you're, if you're looking at this thing the way I think it needs to be looked at, Thursday night was not a bad night for the Nationals. It may have been a painful night, an uncomfortable night, but it's not a bad night. Now, in terms of these prospects from the Dodgers, the two guys you want to be aware of, catcher Kbert Ruiz, pitcher Josiah Gray. The catcher, Kbert Ruiz, he was ranked by MLB Pipeline as the Dodgers' number one prospect and the number 41 overall prospect in baseball. The pitcher, Josiah Gray, he was ranked by MLB Pipeline as the Dodgers' number two prospect and the number 42 overall prospect in baseball. Do I know with certainty that both these guys are going to be major league studs? No, of course not. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I do. But you know what? The Dodgers have been one of the best teams in MLB when it comes to developing players in recent years. So to me, if you get the top two prospects from maybe the premier organization right now when it comes to drafting and developing players, that's something. Okay? That's something. There's some weight behind that. And by the way, isn't it interesting, right? The Dodgers almost every year are in the NLCS, if not the World Series, and yet their farm system is healthy. You know, a, a lack of top five, top 10 picks is not an excuse to have a bad farm system. The Dodgers are excellent when it comes to drafting and player development. Well, the Nationals just got the Dodgers' top two prospects, catcher Cabert Ruiz and pitcher Josiah Gray. That's exciting. And again, these are two top 50 prospects in the sport per MOB pipeline. So that's a good job. And the way things are done these days when it comes to these deadline deals, teams aren't just giving away top prospects. So to get a franchise's top two prospects, that's good, all right? Again, it's not a steal because you included Trey Turner, who's not a free agent to be, but that's a good haul back to get two top prospects like that. And you got two other guys. You got a pitcher named Gerardo Carrillo, who was ranked by MLB Pipeline as the Dodgers' number 17 prospect. And you got an outfielder, Donovan Casey. He was not ranked by MLB Pipeline as being among the Dodgers' top 30 prospects. So Casey's the throw-in, but Ruiz, Gray, and maybe Carrillo can end up really being something for you. And who knows with a guy like Donovan Casey? Maybe he ends up panning out in some form or fashion. It hurts. You never like to trade away good players, especially an all-time franchise grade like Max Scherzer. I mean, Max Scherzer, we know, is going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Hopefully, he goes into the Hall of Fame with a Nationals cap. I think he will. This, This was not some... Uh, you know, ugly divorce between the Nats and Max Scherzer. This was about as amicable as, as a departure can be. Max Scherzer is incredible. He amazingly ended up outperforming his contract with the Nats. For all of the talk we've had lately about the disaster that is the Steven Strasburg seven-year, $245 million deal, the Max Scherzer seven-year, $210 million deal with the Nats in January 2015 ended up being a bargain. And I don't say that lightly. It was a bargain. Max Scherzer's excellence, durability, and intensity will never be forgotten. He is the best player for the Nets since the team moved to D.C. He is, to me, the best pitcher in D.C. baseball history after Walter Johnson. Walter Johnson is number one. Max Scherzer is number two. So a salute to Max, a salute to Trey, but what was done needed to be done, and bravo to the Nets for doing that. Bravo also to one of the great supporters of this podcast, 
Dr. George Verghese. He is the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He's a big sports fan, too, knows his stuff. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And specific to that, Dr. George Verghese and his institute offer something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401. Or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. So the Nationals reportedly agreeing with the Dodgers on this blockbuster involving Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. That was far from all when it came to the Nationals' fire sale. Again, this is an aggressive move forward by the Nats to try to restock the farm system. So earlier on Thursday, we had an official transaction, and that's dealing reliever Brad Hand to the Toronto Blue Jays for a catcher, Riley Adams. He was the number 17 prospect in the Blue Jays farm system per MLB pipeline. Breaking on Thursday night, late night, was the Nationals officially announcing a trade of left fielder Kyle Schwarber to the Boston Red Sox. Also breaking late night on Thursday night. In fact, this trade was announced after one in the morning, the Nationals trading reliever Daniel Hudson to the San Diego Padres. They're all going bye-bye. All the free agents to be. Exactly what I wanted, exactly what I've been advocating for is happening. I'm pleasantly surprised by this. I had my doubts whether the Nats would do this. They're doing this and then some. The Ninja is doing exactly as needs to be done. This is what a good general manager does. And again, he's got to be better at drafting and developing. Okay, so there, there, there's there's no uh, there's no halo over his head with all this too. Like I would I would hope in in a, in a private moment he recognizes he can be better at what he's done here. But to his credit, to the organization's credit, the Nats are moving forward in a proper way. And I would say two other things. Number one, with the state of the National League East, okay, and I know this is going to sound wacky, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Nats actually somehow stay in contention moving forward. Just because weird things happen in sports, and sometimes a team will do something like this, a sell-off, and the team will actually be all right, be better than you think. This division isn't good, this National League East. I mean, as things stand here, going into Friday, you have one team in the NL East with a winning record. The division-leading New York Mets at 54 and 47. Every other team in the division is 500 or less. The Nationals are 47 and 55, seven and a half games out of first. Yes, I mean, making a charge at the division is unlikely, but it's not impossible. So who knows? Maybe the Nats somehow catch fire out of all this. You never know. The other thing I would say is just because the Nats are selling hard right now, that doesn't mean that the Nats are about to embark on like some five-year rebuild, okay? The Nats aren't all of a sudden becoming the Orioles. The Nats do still have talent, including maybe the best pure hitter in the sport in Juan Soto. If the Nats are smart 
And if the Nats get a few things to bounce their way, the Nats can be good again sooner rather than later. Like I'm talking about like next season. If the Nationals make good trades here, get some ready-made prospects, if the Nats spend some money in free agency and make some shrewd, smart signings, if the Nats find ways to get younger this offseason, to get more positionally versatile this offseason, I don't see why the Nats can't be a playoff contender next year. Again, the division isn't good. The National League East isn't good. So, uh, you know, if you're a Nats fan and you're really sad about this and you're like, oh my God, this team's going to be terrible and it's going to be, you know, 2006 through 2010 all over again for this franchise, not so fast. Not so fast on that. If a team knows what it's doing, a team can get good again quickly. That has happened with the San Francisco Giants. It happened with the Milwaukee Brewers. That can happen with the Nationals. Now, the Nats actually played two games on Thursday. I'm not sure how much this matters at this point, but the Nationals split a doubleheader at the Philadelphia Phillies, a 3-1, seven-inning win in game one, and a debacle of an 11-8, eight-inning loss in game two. We'll take the games in order. So with game one, you had this COVID-19 outbreak kind of looming over everything. And of course, we first learned of the outbreak with what happened with the since-departed Trey Turner, uh, reportedly, right? The trade uh, not yet official as of the taping of this podcast. But Trey Turner getting yanked from the Nats 6-4 win at the Phillies on Tuesday night due to having tested positive for COVID-19. The game for Wednesday night ended up being postponed. We learned on Wednesday that 12 members of the Nationals organization had tested positive for COVID-19. Four players, including Turner and eight staff members. Davey Martinez said that only a few people had shown symptoms. All of them had been mild. Davey also said that he believed just one of the 12 people had not been vaccinated for COVID-19. By the way, on Thursday morning, we learned that an additional NAT staff member had tested positive for COVID-19. So the Nats made a flurry of roster moves, including placing four players on the COVID-19 injured list, Turner, Daniel Hudson, Austin Voth, and Alex Avila, even though he was already on the 10-day injured list. Uh, The corresponding roster moves included recalling Luis Garcia and Andres Machado from AAA Rochester. Also, the Nats played this doubleheader at the Phillies on Thursday afternoon without five members of Davey Martinez's coaching staff. Yeah, all these staff members who were out due to the COVID-19 protocols. The bench coach, Tim Bogar, out. The pitching coach, Jim Hickey, out. The first base coach, Randy Knorr, out. The third base coach, Bob Sendley-Henley, out. Kyle Schwarber, who was on the 10-day injured list, essentially served as bench coach for the Nats during this doubleheader. The other weird thing was that Max Scherzer pitched on Thursday. Max Scherzer, despite everyone on the planet knowing that he was going to be traded, pitched game one, started game one, and pitched well. But man, was that an, an unnecessary injury risk, in my opinion, anyway. I mean, imagine, you know, Max, remember, he'd gotten scratched from his previous start due to that triceps issue. Imagine if the triceps acted up while Max was batting because he initially suffered the ailment while taking batting practice. So imagine if that had happened or imagine if some other nuisance ailment had taken place or something else had happened. You know, he takes a comeback or off the shin or off the knee or off the face or anything like that. I mean, I just, I was like, why are the Nats doing this? The only thing I can think of is, So we heard about the San Diego Padres and San Francisco Giants being in on Max Scherzer. He ends up going here to the Los Angeles Dodgers. There seemingly was a bidding war going on between the top three teams in the National League West. And maybe Mike Rizzo was like, you know what? There is a risk in having Max pitch, 
But because he got scratched from his last start and has had to deal with multiple nagging slash nuisance injuries in recent years, maybe it's worth it putting him out there, showcasing him. He does well, and that can further incite a bidding war. That can increase what I end up getting back from one of these three teams in the NL West. Well, if that was the thinking, it seemingly paid off. He got back two top 50 prospects, and Max came out of the outing just fine. One run in six innings, five strikeouts. He gave up three hits, a homer, a double, and a single. He issued three walks, uh, also issued a hit by pitch. So yeah, that was weird with his doubleheader on Thursday. Also in game one was the return of Jan Gomes. You know, that's big news. He's back. He'd been out for a while. Uh, The Nats on Thursday morning reinstating Gomes from the 10-day injured list. He'd been on that since July 10th due to an oblique strain. And Jan Gomes had the biggest hit of the day. In the game one win, the 3-1-7 inning victory, Gomes, a tie-breaking two-run homer to dead center in the top of the seventh for a 3-1 Nats lead. The homer going a projected 429 feet per stat cast. That was some shot by Gomes, who also had a two-out first pitch single in the top of the second inning. And then in game two, what a debacle this was. An 11-8-8 inning loss at the Phillies. The Nats blowing a 7-0 third inning lead. What a gack job. Wander Suero, Tanner Rainey, and Sam Clay, a special kind of awful. Those three relievers combining to allow seven runs in two into third innings. Clay gave up a one-out walk-off grand slam to Brad Miller on a 1-2 pitch in the bottom of the eighth. The grand slam coming one batter after Clay issued a one-out six-pitch walk of a pinch-hitting Aaron Nola. Yes, the Philly starting pitcher was pinch hitting. Who does he think he is? John Lester? Uh, but but he ends up getting walked by Clay, who then gives up a grand slam to Brad Miller. This Nats bullpen has been so bad lately. I mentioned Tanner Rainey. He was back too. The Nats reinstated him from the 10-day injured list on Thursday morning. He'd been out for a while. He had been on the 10-day IL since June 29th, retroactive to June 28th with a stress reaction in his right tibia. One other thing from the disastrous game two loss at the Phillies, Patrick Corbin was bad again. This is the kind of thing that gets completely buried with everything else that happened with the Nats on Thursday, but Patrick Corbin continues to have such a bad season. He, in this game, gives up four runs in five innings, allows eight hits, three homers, three doubles and two singles, only issued one walk, but he had just two strikeouts. His ability to strike out guys has like completely evaporated. And by the way, I mentioned the three homers. The three homers that Corbin allowed came over the course of four batters. He gave up a two-out solo homer to Reese Hoskins in the bottom of the third, then gave up back-to-back first pitch homers to Andrew McCutcheon and Alec Bohm to begin the bottom of the fourth inning. Patrick Corbin now, over 20 starts this season, has an ERA of 578 and a whip of 147. When we talk about why the Nats ultimately had to sell and sell hard, Patrick Corbin is one of the reasons. His struggles over the last two seasons really are alarming. And it's not just that he's been bad this season for a second consecutive season. He's been worse this season than he was last season. I mean, again, the ERA now is at 578 over 20 starts as he's in the midst of year three of a six-year 140 million dollar contract. What a Thursday for the Nationals. It's a day you'll never forget if you're a Nats fan, but it's a day that ultimately I think is actually more of a good day than people may realize. Next up for the Nats, well, we'll see what else transpires before the 4 p.m. Eastern trade deadline on Friday. And then you have a seven-game homestand, three-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park this weekend, followed by a four-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park next week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, do we now have clarity on the direction of the Wizards? Do we now have a true sense on where our basketball team is headed? The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, that team, our team. Well, we don't have complete clarity, but we do have a clearer picture. Bradley Beal is staying and Russell Westbrook is gone. Yes, Russell Westbrook. We hardly knew ye. We had the 2021 NBA draft on Thursday night. Hovering above the draft from a Wizards perspective, of course, was the status of Bradley Beal. Did he want to be traded or didn't he? Multiple reports last weekend that he was seriously considering asking to be traded. But Tommy Shepard on Wednesday said that Beal had not asked to be traded. Then this guy, Marcus Thompson, a columnist, for the Athletic Bay Area on Thursday, tweeted, quote, from what I'm hearing, Bradley Beal is opting to stay in D.C., end quote. This was notable because the Golden State Warriors had come up quite a bit as a potential trade destination for Beal. And then came, if not a Woj bomb, then a uh, Woj firecracker. Uh, ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski on Thursday night on ESPN's telecast of the NBA draft said that the Wizards had not made Bradley Beal available via trade, and that Beal had not asked to be traded. So Beal, it appears, is staying, wants to stay. That's good. I like Bradley Beal. He's not an elite player, but he is an elite scorer. He's a hard worker. He seems like a good man. I think he needs to be better defensively and needs to do more to get his teammates to be better defensively, but hopefully Wes Unsell Jr. is going to address that. Uh, Beal also needs to improve his three-point shooting too, but there's a lot to like about Bradley Beal. But anyway, Beal is staying and Russell Westbrook is gone. Yes, that Russell Westbrook trade talk that was out there has proven to be prophetic. The Wizards on Thursday night reportedly trading Westbrook and second round picks in the 2024 and 2028 NBA drafts to the Los Angeles Lakers for the number 22 pick in the 2021 NBA draft. And three players, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, 
Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma. Now, what we don't know is if those three players who the Wizards got back from the Lakers are here to stay, or if those three players are going to be used as pieces in another deal, maybe a bigger deal. We shall see. Tommy Shepard may be wheeling and dealing. I would say this, there are some things to like, especially about Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and Montrez Harrell. Kyle Kuzma is hit and miss. He does have talent, but he's not coming off a good postseason. He and the Lakers' six-game first-round loss to the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs went four for 23 on threes. But Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, KCP, he is a really good three-point shooter. He, this past regular season, shot 41% on threes. He, over the last four regular seasons, shot 37.8% on threes. And KCP in the regular season was number four among all shooting guards in the NBA in ESPN's defensive real plus minus metric, which is a good stat to look at. It's a player's estimated on-court impact on team defensive performance is measured in points allowed per 100 defensive possessions. Again, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope this past regular season, number four among all shooting guards in ESPN's defensive real plus minus. And then with Montrez Harrell, so here's a guy who this past regular season was number 13 among all qualified players in the NBA in true shooting percentage at 650. True shooting percentage is always something good to look at. It's a shooting percentage that considers that a three is worth more than a two and accounts for free throws. Now, Harrell's not, you know, draining threes, but he is one of the more efficient shooters in the NBA. And Harrell this past regular season was number 13 among qualified players in the NBA in offensive rebound percentage per basketball reference. Offensive rebound percentage, an estimate of the percentage of available offensive rebounds a player gets while on the floor. So some things to like about these guys, but again, we don't know if these guys are staying We do know this, Russell Westbrook's contract is off the books. And remember, the Wizards this past December 2nd traded John Wall and a protected first-round pick to the Houston Rockets for Westbrook. So, you know, if you spent a lot here to get rid of the contract, but, you know, you think about this, the Wall Supermax got turned into the Westbrook Supermax, and the Westbrook Supermax now is gone. So the Wizards, for the first time in a long time, have actual legitimate salary cap flexibility. What are they going to do with that flexibility? I'm not sure they're going to know what to do with that flexibility. It's been so long since the Wizards had something like this, but you think about it, right? What big swing could be coming? We've been talking about this, the need for a big swing, the need for bold action. What could Tommy Shepard be setting up here? You know, this to me is exciting. This, to me, is intriguing. Tommy Shepard, again, may well be wheeling and dealing. Uh, NBA free agency is coming up, too. Going to get going on Monday evening at 6, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, That's when teams can begin negotiating with free agents. When it comes to Westbrook's loan season with the Wizards, look, it was exciting, right? I mean, he was a triple-double machine. Russell Westbrook, in his loan season with the Wizards, ended up becoming the franchise's all-time leader in career regular season triple-doubles. I mean, that's really ridiculous when you think about that. 38 triple-doubles for Westbrook last regular season, during which he became the NBA's all-time leader in career regular season triple-doubles with 184. He set a single-season Wizards slash Bullets record in terms of assists per game for a season, 11.74. That was number one in the NBA. Westbrook did a lot of good things. He was, he was an incredible rebounder, averaged a career-best 11.54 rebounds per game. But also for Westbrook, 
this past season was him being his usual inefficient self. We saw this in the regular season uh, during which Russell Westbrook was number two in the NBA among qualified players in most turnovers per 100 possessions per basketball reference at 6.1. I mentioned true shooting percentage. Westbrook this past regular season had the ninth worst true shooting percentage among qualified players in the NBA. And Westbrook this past regular season had the second worst free throw percentage of his career at 656. Russell Westbrook is what he is. There are some really good things about him and there are some things that drive you nuts. And there's a reason now that he's about to be on his fourth team in four seasons. Yes, Russell Westbrook in going to the Lakers is going to now be on his fourth team in four seasons from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Houston Rockets to the Wizards to now the Lakers. But Russell Westbrook was a good wizard. I mean, there's nothing bad you could say about him as a guy or anything like that. He actually put out a nice message on Twitter late night on Thursday night. Quote, thank you, DC. You welcome my family and I with open arms from day one. Everyone from the front office to the training staff, the coaches, my teammates and the fans. I'm grateful y'all took a chance on me and supported me every step of the way. So, you know, whereas someone like Dwight Howard is not fondly remembered by those of us who are Wizards fans, I think we will fondly remember Russell Westbrook's lone season with the Wizards. So you had that happen, right? The big move. Russell Westbrook gets traded. Who knows what other big item could be next? But you also had the NBA draft. And I love what the Wizards did with their first of two first round picks. The Wizards, with their initial first round pick, the number 15 overall pick on Thursday night, took 6'7 Gonzaga forward Corey Kispert. All right. One word describes Corey Kispert marksman. This guy is an elite three point shooter. The Wizards have got to get better at three point shooting. Truth be told, in today's NBA, you can never be good enough at shooting the three. And Corey Kispert is a tremendous three-point shooter. So he played for Gonzaga for four seasons. He, over his final two collegiate seasons, 2019-2020 and 2020-2021, shot a combined 43.9% on threes. That's excellent. Kispert, this past season, his senior season for the Zags, per Synergy Basketball, quote, was the most efficient scorer in college basketball shooting 54% from the corners and scoring very opportunistically around the rim, end quote. If you watch the draft on ESPN on Thursday night, ESPN college basketball analyst Jay Billis on ESPN's telecast of the draft called Kispert, quote, the best shooter in the draft, end quote. So I love this pick. I think Gonzaga guys, look, they're they're normally these lower ceiling, higher floor types, kind of like Rui Hachimura. I think they're also, though, normally very reliable guys, very smart guys. Corey Kispert, I think, fits that to a T. And again, elite three-point shooter. This is exciting what he could be, what he could mean for the Wizards offensively moving forward. Then with the Wizards' other first-round picks, so it gets complicated, as things usually do in the NBA. So the Lakers made the selection at number 22. The Lakers with the number 22 pick, because the trade one official, the Lakers with the number 22 pick, took 6'10 Kentucky big man Isaiah Jackson. Isaiah Jackson, I like. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed the Wizards didn't end up with him, although I guess they kind of have the same guy already in Daniel Gafford. Isaiah Jackson is one of these, you know, long athletic freaks. He's got like pogo stick 
athleticism. Anyway, Jackson, though, ends up being traded to the Indiana Pacers for the first pick in the second round, the number 31 overall pick in the 2021 draft, and a player, Aaron Holiday. And that number 31 pick ended up being used on this guy, Isaiah Todd of the G League Ignite. Uh, Isaiah Todd is 6'10", another long guy, big-time wigspan. Maybe he can be a rim protector. You can never have enough of those. Uh, So the Wizards come out of the draft with Kispert and Todd. But the big items, one, Beal, it looks like, is staying. Two, Westbrook is gone. And now we wonder, as NBA free agency approaches, what could be next for the Wizards? The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly. All right, guys, if you love listening to me on the Al Galdi podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about D.C. area sports, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, so Thursday was day three of 2021 Washington football team training camp. Camp is in Richmond through Saturday. The training camp schedule has been a morning practice and an evening walkthrough. And what we're doing on each installment of the show here during camp is going through all that mattered from Washington football team training camp the previous day, including all of the relevant things that were said during the press conferences. The way that this works is Ron Rivera and select Washington players speak via post-practice press conference each day on which there is a practice. Thursday's press conference card was loaded. This was a pay-per-view caliber press conference card. Speaking on Thursday via press conference were Ron Rivera, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Chase Young, and Jamin Davis. That's like a WrestleMania caliber Washington football team press conference card. No other show or podcast is giving you all of this precious audio and reaction to it. Uh, I promise you that. So if you're a Washington football team fan, you want to be with us for each show and spread the word. If you know of Washington football team fans looking for more coverage of the team, looking for better coverage of the team, looking for more in-depth coverage of the team, looking perhaps for an analytically inclined coverage of the team, let them know about this podcast the Al Galdi podcast. I'll get to Chase Young next segment, but this segment, we're going to talk about Washington's quarterback situation. And guess what? We finally got an answer to on Thursday. The question of why Ron Rivera has excluded Kyle Allen from the quarterback competition to whatever extent that competition exists. We have talked about this a lot. The undeniable trend of the immediate aftermath of off-season practices. Ron telling anyone who would listen that A, a quarterback competition would be taking place in training camp, and B, the competition would be Ryan Fitzpatrick 
versus Taylor Heineke. Ron would not include Kyle Allen and wouldn't give an answer as to why Kyle was being excluded from the competition. The whole thing was surprising, right? Given that Ron had traded for Kyle and given Ron's previous praise of Kyle. Ron in the 2020 offseason traded a 2025th round pick to the Carolina Panthers for Kyle Allen. And Ron last December 30th, famously in the lead up to the NFC East clinching win at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football in Week 17, when asked whether Washington would have contended for the playoffs without Alex Smith, said, quote, well, if we had a healthy Kyle Allen, I think we could have, end quote. But Ron, this past June 10th, in his final post-practice press conference of Washington's mandatory minicamp, responded to an open-ended question about the quarterback play in minicamp by praising Ryan Fitzpatrick, adamantly praising Taylor Heineke, including calling him, quote, an extremely accurate passer, end quote, talking up the quarterback competition, and not even mentioning Kyle Allen. And then Ron, on June 16th, in a conversation with Washington football team insider Ben Standig of the Athletic DC in response to a question about why Kyle Allen wasn't a part of the quarterback competition, didn't say why, only said, quote, I've always kind of felt that way going into it, end quote. So not only did we have Ron not including Kyle Allen in the quarterback competition, again, to whatever extent that exists, we also had Ron not answering why he wasn't including Kyle Allen in the quarterback competition. The obvious theory for Kyle's exclusion was him recovering from injury. But Ron wouldn't just say that. So Ron on Thursday again got asked about why Kyle Allen isn't a part of the quarterback competition. And here's what Ron said. Well, I think as he recovers and starts to to do do more and more things, you'll see him be part of it. But right now, those are the two that I've identified as the guys that we've got to keep an extra eye on. Um, I'm not, you know, selling Kyle down the down the river. I think he still has an opportunity to help us, um, whether it's immediately or, or or in the future. But we'll see. I mean, again, it's about being healthy. It's about getting back out there, doing the things that you're capable of. You know, he'll get opportunities to practice with our groups. He'll get an opportunity to play with our groups. You know, we're trying to get as many reps for, for people as we get into to, to, to playing the games in the preseason. We only have three. We've got to be judicious, though. You know, we've got to make decisions quickly. All right. So finally, Ron used Kyle recovering from injury as the reason for Kyle not being a part of the quarterback competition. Again, to whatever extent that exists. I don't get why it took so long for Ron to say that. That does make you wonder whether the injury recovery is the reason. Because if that truly is the reason, why didn't Ron just say so from the get-go? I mean, the injury recovery does make sense, right? Kyle, in that loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field in Week 9 of last season, suffered a dislocated left ankle and a reported small fracture. He underwent surgery last November 13th. So the notion of him still not being 100% is more than plausible here. It's worth remembering this. Kyle Allen played well during his time as Washington's starting quarterback last season. Here were the total QBRs per ESPN of each Washington starting quarterback in the 2020 regular season. Dwayne Haskins over seven games, a total QBR per ESPN of 31.0. Alex Smith over eight games, a total QBR per ESPN of 34.8. Kyle Allen over four games, a total QBR per ESPN of 74.5. I know it's a small sample size, just four games, but Kyle Allen, through the prism of ESPN's total QBR, blew away the play of both Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith last regular season. And you could say, well, geez, Galdi, what is that saying exactly? I know, 
But still, that's quite a drastic difference. Dwayne Haskins, 31.0. Alex Smith, 34.8. Kyle Allen, 74.5. So what about Kyle in terms of this quarterback competition? Could Kyle become a part of the quarterback competition? Rod on Thursday answered that question. I will play for you the full exchange. You get the complete context of all of this. The question is asked by Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. We're just hoping you could kind of clarify what you were saying about the quarterbacks in the competition there. Are, are you saying Ryan and, and Taylor are competing for basically the starting job and Kyle might join that competition at some point? Yep. Or, okay. At some point. I mean, okay. again, you know, we'll see how things play out. We've got a good group of guys. I like the guys. I, I truly do. Um, and we'll see how it happens. You know, we got a young guy in Steven Montez that we like as a developmental guy right now. Um, you know, we got him working on some special team stuff, too, just in case. So we'll see. Um, but it's a good group. You know, we've got two clear-cut guys right now that, that, that have an opportunity. We have a third guy that's shown us he can do it in this league. Is there something you're looking for from Kyle to know that he's ready to? Well, I think as he continues to get uh, healthier and healthier, uh, you know, we'll get a chance to watch him do things more and more, and, and we'll, we'll assess from there. Interesting to hear Ron bring up Steven Montez, who, as Ron said, is doing some non-quarterback work in that attempt to perhaps serve as a uh, Taysom Hill-like weapon. With those involved in the quarterback competition, at least right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke. Heineke on Thursday did get some first-team reps. Uh, I had been wondering about that. Would Heineke get any first-team practice reps? Because if not, then this whole thing about a quarterback competition is just lip service. Still may be lip service, but at least Heineke on Thursday did get some first-team reps, although the bulk of the first-team reps are going to Fitzpatrick. Ron on Thursday on how Fitzpatrick is handling the quarterback competition, again, to whatever extent it actually exists. Does, nothing seems to phase him. You know, uh, you know we were rolling Kyle, um, Kyle we, 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 were, we were rolling Taylor in today, and nothing seems to phase him. He just goes out and does his job. He doesn't look over his shoulder. And, and I think that's, that's a confident player. And I think guys can learn from, from that. Don't worry about what, what's going on over here. Worry about yourself. Worry about doing your job. Worry about things that, you know, that, that, that are going to help you. I mean, again, in his mind, what's important uh, versus what's interesting, I think I, I love that about him. And he's a guy also that's you know he's communicating he's helping he's working with everybody uh that is cool i mean that that's that's the type of stuff that helps your football team and then what about heineke how has he looked ron on thursday on heineke you know uh, again he he came in and you know, he's thrown the ball well he threw the ball well during otas and minicamp uh, he picked up right where he left off you know, he has a good understanding of our offense because he's been in it before, too, as well. So he's a guy that's, you know, going to create the, the competition that we're looking at, and, and he's going to pu- push Ryan. And we'll see how everything goes and unfolds as we get further down into camp. So Ron on Heineke, quote, he's going to push Ryan, end quote. Maybe those are just empty words. Then again, maybe not. So I mentioned that Ryan Fitzpatrick spoke on Thursday via post-training camp practice press conference. What about old Fitzmagic's take on all of this? You know, if there is a quarterback who is like completely desensitized to being in a quarterback competition, to having to battle for his job, to having to worry about his job, it is Ryan Fitzpatrick. The dude has been there and done that. Washington is his ninth NFL team. Fitzpatrick on Thursday on the quarterback competition. Uh, I mean, I just 
try to focus on myself, the things I know I need to get better at, you know, how I can progress in this offense, learning it better, feeling it out better. And it's been a good first few days just in terms of retention and the whole, the whole group, uh, just in terms of getting out there. It's not necessarily the easiest offense to learn, but I've been real impressed with the guys. Now it's just doing it every single day as we put new stuff in and continue to get better. But uh, just working with all these guys, getting on the same page, having them know what I expect of them and vice versa, that's really important. And that's a big part of what I'm going to try to get accomplished as well. We heard Ron's comments on Ryan Fitzpatrick not being a guy who was looking over his shoulder. Fitzpatrick is in that classic spot of having nothing to lose. He was never supposed to have the career that he has had. Fitzpatrick was taken by the St. Louis Rams out of Harvard in the seventh round of the 2005 NFL Draft. This coming season will be his age 39 season. He has had no business staying in the NFL for as long as he has, and yet he has stayed in the NFL for this long. Fitzpatrick on Thursday on not being shaken by, thrown off by, or worried about a quarterback competition. Yeah, I think it's a hard thing. I think early on, that's what it was every year for me, was you're doing the numbers game. And, oh, are they going to keep three quarterbacks or two? And, boy, if they keep, you know, a fullback this year, maybe you just – Early on, that's kind of what I always did, uh, you know, just trying to figure it out. And you just learn that that is not productive. What's productive is just to focus on myself every single day, focus on the things I need to work on. And with that, being the leader of a unit, sometimes my focus isn't just about me. When I say that, it's about everybody. It's about the tempo to the line. It's about, you know, guys being into it, guys making plays, whatever it is. But um, that was something I had to learn throughout my career that, it was all about me because there's only so much I could control. So focusing on what I could control and doing the things that put me in a better situation to make me better, that's what I have done for the last however many years, and it's really, really helped me out and work. Something that we got into on Thursday's show, episode 111, was what Terry McLaurin said on Wednesday, that Ryan Fitzpatrick does a good job of empowering his pass catchers. Terry's usage of that word, empowering, really stood out. Fitzpatrick on Thursday gave us more on his evolving connection with Terry McLaurin. This was Fitzpatrick on getting ready for a season and getting used to a new batch of pass catchers. Uh, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a marathon. I mean, it's, we don't need to come out and put every single play we have in right away. And, uh, you know, I don't need to come out and throw 300 balls every day. I mean, it's going to be a progression. We're going to build up on this thing, but there are just certain moments, uh, certain routes that happen. I hit Terry on one of the end of practice today where that kind of connection is something that you build off of, something that, you know, when we've got a play that we need and we're at Dallas, you know, when it's a got to have it situation, I've got that in the back of my mind just thinking, okay, I know Terry can make this play and he's got a lot of confidence in me being able to put that ball up to him. So uh, some of it, maybe not necessarily mile markers, but just moments. There are going to be moments in training camp. I I had a play with Logan Thomas today that I, before we had the play, I talked to him about just the feel that he needed to have and his awareness. And all of a sudden we run the play, we get a particular look, and he's in the exact right spot at the right time. So building those type of relationships and trust with guys, that's kind of what I'm looking for, uh, whether it's a certain route or a certain coverage, but figuring out who those guys are and, you know, the situations that I can rely and trust guys in. 
Yeah, you certainly could argue nobody is going to benefit from the presence of Ryan Fitzpatrick as Washington's quarterback more than Terry McLaurin. This guy has put up big numbers over his first two NFL seasons despite catching passes from Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, and Taylor Heineke. And now Terry has as his quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. And no, he's not an all-pro. Like, I don't want to oversell what he's done. But as I've pointed out, his best three seasons have been his last three seasons. He has finished in the top 10 in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR each of the last two seasons. And Fitzpatrick historically feeds his number one receivers. WR1s eat historically when Ryan Fitzpatrick is the QB1. Another guy with whom Fitzpatrick hopefully has a great connection, is Logan Thomas, the newly extended Logan Thomas, right? Signed a nice three-year contract extension this week. Fitzpatrick on Thursday on Logan Thomas, starting with Logan, of course, having been a quarterback at Virginia Tech and at the beginning of his NFL career. Yeah, well, it, it definitely helps him in that he sees it differently than a normal tight end would see it. Uh, it also helps our relationship, just in the things we're able to discuss uh, you know things we're able to talk to on on the sideline about whatever it is, but he he just has a way about him of finding the open spot. Uh, but obviously, like his big body, his length, his smarts, and then just the catch radius. I mean, he he's a very versatile tight end that can kind of do it all. And and I think you know when you sit and I don't I haven't known him for very long, but so happy for him and getting the new contract that he did because when you sit and you're trying to build a football team and you want to figure out who the pillars of your program are and the guys that you want to be examples for your team that's a guy we want everybody to look up to his work ethic kind of his path here and how it wasn't smooth but it was a rocky path where he's on a couple different teams worked his butt off and look where he is now uh that that's the the cool story that some of these young guys can look up to you know and say okay it is possible and then go ask him how the heck did you do it you know and watch him every day and in that funny listening to Ryan Fitzpatrick chronicle Logan Thomas's career, who does Logan sound like? Sounds like Ryan, right? A guy who bounced around, a guy who wasn't supposed to make it, and yet against all odds now has made it, you know? You could tell Fitzpatrick especially appreciates and respects what Logan Thomas has done. So with Ryan Fitzpatrick, the leader, yes, leadership, as Jeff George famously said, during his time as Washington quarterback. That leadership stuff is overrated. Uh, Actually, Jeff George takes a lot of uh, undeserved grief for him saying that about 20 years ago because I I remember the context within which he said that. It was more about like the rah-rah stuff. And that stuff is overrated, the rah-rah stuff. But as a quarterback, you do want to be a leader in some form. It doesn't have to be in a rah-rah way, but you want to be someone who sets a good example. You want to be someone who others feel like they can go to. You want to be someone who is an example of the way to be a professional football player. So in that aspect, leadership is not overrated. But actually, old Jeff G was right when he said that that leadership stuff from a rah-rah perspective uh, is overrated. Anyway, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? If he's going to be Washington's starting quarterback, he figures to be a leader in some way for the upcoming season. How does Fitzpatrick describe himself as a leader? Uh, I mean, I just I want to be the guy that when we're in the fourth quarter, when we're facing some adversity and people don't know what to do, they can look to me. You know, I've been through a lot of my career, been through a lot of my life, and I just try to stay steady. You know, I want to be the same guy every day 
I want to be the same guy in those situations. And so if I can provide a calmness for them uh, in those biggest moments, that's kind of the guy that I want to be. You can tell by listening to Ryan Fitzpatrick, in addition to, of course, his story, why his teammates love him. And his teammates do love him. I mean, Miami Dolphins tied in Mike Gesicki called Fitzpatrick, quote, the greatest teammate I've played with, end quote. And I think we already have a sense as to why people have liked Ryan Fitzpatrick over the years. There is a lot to like. Hopefully, the play ultimately is the reason to like Ryan Fitzpatrick as a Washington football team quarterback. Uh, But for now, a lot of good vibes and definite things you can grab onto in terms of, hey, this guy does offer hope and this guy does offer a real chance for Washington to be appreciably better at the quarterback position this upcoming season as compared to last season. So also speaking via post-practice press conference at Washington football team training camp in Richmond on Thursday was Chase Young. And we will get to the football stuff with Chase in moments, but let's get the extra fun stuff out of the way. COVID-19 player vaccination rate talk. So Washington on Thursday afternoon announced a variety of roster moves. The good news was that Tim Settle has passed his physical and is back on the active roster. Washington on Tuesday, the first day of training camp, placed Settle on the active slash non-football illness list. He's now off that list and back on the active roster. So that's good. But the bad news on Tuesday was that Washington put three more players on the reserve slash COVID-19 list. Those three players, Curtis Samuel, Matt Ioannidis, and Chris Miller, who's a corner, Washington on May 18th, claim Miller off waivers from the Arizona Cardinals. But these three guys, Curtis Samuel, Matt Ioannidis, and Chris Miller, join Cornelius Lucas as being on Washington's reserve slash COVID-19 list. Now, just because you're on the reserve slash COVID-19 list doesn't mean that you have COVID-19, but it does mean that you're out for at least a little while and not being vaccinated for COVID-19 can have an adverse effect on you avoiding the reserve slash COVID-19 list because there are quarantine requirements for players who aren't vaccinated for COVID-19 when deemed close contacts of someone with COVID-19. The quarantine requirements are not in effect for players who have been vaccinated for COVID-19. This is an example of the competitive advantage that is an NFL player being vaccinated for COVID-19. And so all of this brings us to Chase Young's presser on Thursday. Now, Chase Young spoke before these roster moves were announced, but the belief is that Chase Young is among those Washington players who have not been vaccinated for COVID-19. This is based on several things, most notably that Chase has been wearing a mask at practice, and that's only something that players who haven't been vaccinated for COVID-19 are being made to do. Chase, remember, ended his rookie season as a captain for Washington. The first question that he got asked at his press conference on Thursday was what went into his decision regarding getting or not getting vaccinated for COVID-19 and whether his role as a leader weighed into that decision. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to disclose my, uh, you know, personal information. I hope you all can respect that. But, um, you know, I respect everybody's decision. Um, you know, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to make sure, uh, you know, the uh, protocols of the NFL and NFL PA, the guidelines they put together, I'm just going to make sure uh, me and my teammates follow that to the best as we can. 
All right. Respectful answer. I have no problem with that answer. Assuming there isn't a medical or religious reason for Chase not getting vaccinated for COVID-19, I do think that him not getting vaccinated for COVID-19 is the wrong decision, but that's me. I'm not him. I'm not going to sit here and lecture him and berate him. I'd have to hear more about why he has chosen not to get vaccinated for COVID-19, assuming that he has chosen that. And I think it's pretty clear that he has. And I do like that Chase emphasized adhering to the protocols. That's the thing. If you don't get vaccinated for COVID-19, then you have strict protocols by which you must abide. And if you're cool with following those protocols and not deviating from those protocols, then more power to you. I mean, Washington was the best team in the NFL last season when it came to not having to put players on a COVID-19 list. Washington did an excellent job with the COVID-19 protocols last season. Obviously, Washington is not off to a great start when it comes to not putting players on a COVID-19 list in this training camp. What about the potential for the COVID-19 player vaccination rate issue to divide the Washington football team? Here was Chase on that. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to respect everybody's decision. Um, you know, each man's decision, they got their own. Uh, I'm just going to make sure that uh, the whole team, we follow those guidelines that the NFL and the NFLPA put together. All right, there you go. This COVID-19 player vaccination rate issue is not going away. And I am in no way convinced that Washington's player vaccination rate for COVID-19 is going to significantly improve as we approach the regular season. In fact, the rate could decline. As I brought up on Thursday's show, episode 111, it could be that a good number of the guys who are unlikely to make the season opening 53-man roster are vaccinated for COVID-19, and that a sizable chunk of the likely players to make the season opening 53-man roster are not vaccinated for COVID-19. So that vaccination rate for players, whatever it is right now, between 50 and 60%, that could go down once the regular season gets going. Whether you like it or you don't like it, whether you understand it or you don't understand it, Washington very likely is going to go into the regular season with one of the lowest COVID-19 player vaccination rates in the NFL, maybe the lowest. And that is a competitive disadvantage. There's no question about that. We can debate many things about all of this. There is no debate about that. Having a low COVID-19 player vaccination rate is a competitive disadvantage in this NFL season. As for Chase Young, the player. So he, of course, had a terrific 2020 rookie season, contrary to uh, what some of the dum-dums obsessed with sacks had to say. Uh, Chase won Associated Press Defensive Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season. The following numbers, to me, tell the true story of Chase Young's rookie regular season. Overall grade per pro football focus of 87.2, number six among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. Overall grade for pro football focus on red zone snaps of 93.3, number one among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. And Chase was number seven among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL in ESPN's pass rush win rate metric. If you want to go by traditional stats, Chase in the 2020 regular season was second on Washington with seven and a half sacks, was number one on Washington with four forced fumbles and was number one on Washington with three fumble recoveries. And oh, by the way, he was a big part of a massive turnaround for Washington's defense from the previous season. So all of that was great. But as we saw in Washington's loss to the eventual Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard round, there is another level that Chase can get to. He was largely invisible in that game. Ron Rivera on Thursday on how Chase Young can take that next step as a player. 
I think continuing to, 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 to understand and develop his sense for what his job is, but what everybody else is doing. You know, it's important to understand, you know, what's going on with coverage. Why? Because the coverage is going to impact it. You know, if it's man coverage, you're going to get a little bit more time. You know, uh, if it's zone coverage, you might not get as much time in your pass rush. You know, what's it mean when they, when they, when they overload a side you know, when they overload to you with two tight ends, you know, what are they trying to accomplish? Are they trying to widen you and, and create that extra step in the pass rush? You know, so I think that's the thing that's going to help him by looking at what's, you know, how people are trying to attack him um, and look at the whole scope of what we're trying to do on defense. What's the three technique doing next to you? OK, what happens when you've got a, you've got the one on your side? You know, those types of things. It, 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 it'll help advance the way he plays because he's more aware of what's going on around him too. And how will Ron know that an increased awareness is taking place for Chase Young? By the way he does things, you know, uh, again, if, it, if, it's, if it's third and long and he knows we're in man, he knows the quarterback's going to have to hold the ball a little bit. So he's got an opportunity to set something up. If it's third and long and we're in zone, you know, the quarterback's going to probably try, I mean, third and short and, and we're in zone, the quarterback's going to probably try and throw the ball a little bit quicker. So he's got to understand, you know, I don't have time to set it up. I've got to, I've got to penetrate. i got to get vertical. i got to get into the guy's throwing lane. i got to get into his vision, that type of stuff. That's when you'll know. When, when, you, when you don't see these, you know, third and shorts and, 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 and he's running these, you know, and he's running these, this, this, this up and under and he's, he's selling it all the way outside. And a quarterback's taking a three-step. That, that's, that's when you know he's getting it. He sees what's happening in the game. So I said last season that Chase Young and Montez Sweat, to me, are Washington's best edge rusher duo since the best edge rusher duo in Washington history, Dexter Manley and Charles Mann. And I know that's a very grandiose statement, but I mean that. I think this is the best duo of edge rushers Washington has had since the best duo of edge rushers that Washington has ever had. Washington and Chase Young and Montez Sweat has two physical freaks who can and should be dominant for years to come. I mentioned that Chase Young last regular season had an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of 87.2 that ranked number six among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. Montez Sweat last regular season had an overall grade per PFF of 79.7, number 10 among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. The Washington football team in the 2020 regular season had two of the top 10 edge rushers in the NFL in terms of overall grades per pro football focus. Chase on Thursday on his connection with Montez Sweat. Um, I feel like, you know, it's between me and Montez, it's, it's that love, it's that brotherhood love, and it's like uh, that natural competition. Now, I feel like we always come, we always, not really competing, but we are competing, if that makes sense. It's like if, you know, if Montez is going and I'm slacking a little bit, you know, I know I got to pick the slack up because I know Montez over there busting his ass. Same with me, vice versa. So I think we keep each other, we keep each other up, and I feel like we just keep each other going. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's, I feel like that's how great we can be if, if we just keep doing that. Yeah, like I said, I think this is the best edge rusher duo that Washington has had since the best edge rusher duo in franchise history, Dexter Manley and Charles Mann. I mean, the only other real standout edge rusher duos since the days of Dexter and Charles, you'd have to say, what, Ryan Kerrigan and Brian Arakpo and Kerrigan and Preston Smith. 
sorry, uh, I'll take Chase Young and Montez Sweat over either of those two other duos. What about Chase Young, the guy? Remember, it was Chase Young who got the captaincy that was stripped from Dwayne Haskins for Strippergate last December. Chase Young was a leader last season. Ron Rivera on Thursday got asked about Chase Young, the person. I think the thing that I, I really appreciate about who Chase is is he's a very driven young man. Um, you know, he, he wants to succeed. He wants to do things the right way. He's, um, you know, he's, he's got some really good core values. He's very family-oriented. Um, he's, uh, he's a guy that really appreciated people doing things the right way. Uh, he, he cheers for his team. I mean, it doesn't matter who's out there. He's cheering for him. And I don't know if you noticed, but when he's not in, he doesn't necessarily always stand by the defense. He goes over to the offensive guys and interacts. Um, that, I mean, there's there's a there's a a leadership quality to him that I, I really appreciate. So I know with Chase Young, the person, there is going to be some pushback to that, right? Because now you have him apparently not having gotten vaccinated for COVID-19. And if that bothers you, then that's going to lessen your opinion of Chase Young. You also remember had Chase Young not showing up to the voluntary OTA practices this offseason. So I think there are some things you can say about Chase Young, the leader. You know, the the thing about him not showing up to OTA practices, I I wasn't a huge fan of that. He, He had every right to do that. But to me, if you're a leader, you show up to those things. I mean, it's not that big of an ask to show up to a handful of OTA practices. And Chase Young didn't do that. Now, is it the end of the world? No. Was he there for the mandatory minicamp practices? Yes. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's a kind of thing where it doesn't like infuriate you, but it just kind of annoys you, you know? So it, like, does it alter my opinion of Chase Young? Not really. No. But I wish he would have done that. And I don't really know that he had that good of a reason not to do that. I know he had all these other things going on in terms of endorsements and shoots and things like that. You can work around a handful of OTA practices. If you really want to go to your OTA practices, you can figure out a way to go to them. If you're a star, right, you can command when you do these shoots and when you have to show up for these various engagements uh, that Chase had during the offseason. So just kind of something to file in the back of your mind. But Everything else about Chase Young, I think you love. I mean, the talent is there. The performance last season was there. He's a hard worker. I mean, nobody questions that. And he does genuinely seem like a good dude and a good teammate. And uh, there is another level that he can get to as a player. And I'm very excited to see him hopefully get to that level this upcoming season. All right, some odds and ends from Washington football team training camp on Thursday. How is Antonio Gibson doing? So Gibson, this past December, missed two consecutive games due to a turf toe injury that was suffered in the win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 13. Gibson, in a Zoom press conference after Washington's OTA practice on June 2nd, said that he was still working through the turf toe injury and wasn't yet 100%. That was at least somewhat concerning, right? That a turf toe injury suffered last December 7th still was a problem, at least as of June 2nd. Here was Ron Rivera on Thursday on Gibson. Oh, Antonio Gibson, AG, yes. You know, he looks good. He really does. Um, he came in solid. Uh, his conditioning tests look really good. He, he really did. Uh, it looks like he's, he's passed those effects right now. Now, again, you never know because of, of turf toe is, is one of those things. But he looked good. He's, 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 I'm really pleased with, with, with you know, where he is right now. Um, he's solid. And uh, just expect him to, to continue to grow and take another step. All right, so good news there from Ron on Gibson. A lot of excitement for Gibson for this coming season. He is getting a lot of hype in analytics and fantasy football circles. 
and for good reason. Meantime, we on Thursday's show, episode 111, talked about the competition at safety. All kinds of possibilities, especially if Ron and Jack Del Rio are willing to play Cameron Curl at free safety. But the man who ended last season as Washington starting free safety is Jeremy Reeves. Uh, we in the 2020 season, in terms of Washington's starting free safety, went from Troy Apke to DeShazer Everett to Jeremy Reeves. Reeves in the 2020 season started each of Washington's last three regular season games, and then the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wild card round. And Reeves was good. Uh, he, in the 2020 regular season, had an overall grade for pro football focus of 81.2. And remember, Ron likes Reeves. Washington promoted Reeves from the practice squad to the active roster as the corresponding roster move last October 27th to Washington, putting Landon Collins on the reserve slash injured list due to his ruptured Achilles tendon. And Ron chose to promote Reeves from the practice squad as opposed to signing former Carolina Panthers safety Eric Reed to the active roster. Ron offered Reed a practice squad spot, not an active roster spot. That went to Reeves. Ron on Thursday on Reeves. You know, the thing that I appreciate about Jeremy is he just does his job. He works hard, um, and, and it's a true appreciation. You know, last year he was one of the guys that truly impressed me during training camp. You know, and when we, we, we had to cut down, he was one of the guys that, that was on the bubble. And, you know, initially he didn't make it. We had him on practice squad, but I told him if he keeps working the way he is, he'll get a chance, and he did, and, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate the effort he's given us right now. He really is. Yeah, Jeremy Reeves is an impressive guy, just like Washington's 2021 first-round pick, Jamin Davis. And I wanted to play a couple of things that Jamin said at his post-practice press conference at training camp on Thursday, because Jamin Davis just comes off as a very impressive person. So yes, he is a physical specimen, right? Long-armed, jacked up, incredible athleticism. Yes, he was a tackling machine at Kentucky, but he also seems to be perfect for the Ron Rivera culture reset. You know, smart, mature, diligent. Ron Rivera on Wednesday said that he was impressed with Jamin's retention of the playbook from minicamp and OTA practices to training camp. Here was Jamin Davis on Thursday on that retention. Uh, I mean, the best way I can put it is before you can learn um, phrases and words and stuff like that, you have to learn the alphabet. So um, just making sure I know every position, every linebacker position, not just one specific one, and just making sure my head is in the book at all times because you never know when your number is going to get called at what specific position. So, I mean, just making sure I do what I can and just making sure I know, like, the simple details to my job and just going out and making plays. And the retention of the playbook by Jamin Davis has been on display via him practicing as Washington's Mike Linebacker. Yes, he already is serving as the Mike Linebacker, as the quarterback of Washington's defense. That's impressive, but it's not surprising. Uh, Jamin on Thursday on being the quarterback of the defense, putting different people in different places, despite being a rookie. Um, well, first and foremost, I mean, everybody taking me in with open arms and making sure we build in whatever chemistry we can right now. So um, it's, it's, it's a lot to take in at first, but I mean, once you get in the swing of things and get used to it, um, it's nothing that I can't handle. I just go in and with the confidence that I've been had this to get me to this point, honestly, and just, like I said, keep my head in the book. That way, when I get out there and see things, it's like the game naturally just slows down. Yeah, it's way too early to say that Washington has a hit in having taken Jamin Davis with the number 19 overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, but I think what you do say is, so far, so good, and every indication is that this guy is going to play a lot in the upcoming season and hopefully is going to play really well. 
All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. What do you think about the Nationals trading Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers? What do you think about the Wizards trading Russell Westbrook to the Lakers? A double dose of D.C. and L.A. on Thursday night, July 29th, 2021. A night unlike any other in D.C. sports history. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The fun will continue on Friday with the MLB trade deadline at 4 p.m. Eastern. More trades are coming. I did not do an Orioles segment on this show because truthfully, there's nothing worth getting into from their game on Thursday night. A 6-2 loss at the Detroit Tigers in game one of a four-game series. The intrigue with the O's is what they do in terms of selling prior to the trade deadline. Is Trey Mancini dealt? He should be dealt at some point, although with him, You can't wait until the offseason, so you don't have to trade them by the deadline. But all of the relievers who have been coming up in trade talks should be traded for whatever the O's can get for these guys. Paul Fry, Tanner Scott, Cole Solcer, Dylan Tate. Uh, Not sure how many other realistically available Orioles have trade value. That's the shame of the seasons that guys like Matt Harvey, Michael Franco, and Freddie Galvis are having. Galvis actually has been all right, but he's hurt. Uh, The O's on June 27th put Galvis on the 10-day injured list with a right quadricep strain. And with the Washington football team, of course, training camp continuing this weekend. So we'll have plenty of things to get into come Monday's show. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday. 